world, ladies and gents, we got Leo Brady from Movie Critic Reviews and Scene Stealers podcast describing versatile actress known as Kyra Sedwick, who Leo has had the honor of actually speaking to. <laughs> yes, thank you for having me. You're, you're a very versatile uh, just film analyzer, and you're all about just kind of describing what are you feeling? Is this movie getting my attention and everything? Um, yeah. uh, so from uh, uh, Kyra is, you know, she's renowned for, you know, various theater, Broadway material, voiceovers, uh, personal life. You know, she's married to Kevin Bacon and her daughter, Sosie has become a big star also recently. Yeah. And yeah. the TV show, The Closer. Right. And, on and her son, her son is a musician. Her son is like the lead singer and guitarist of like a heavy metal rock band, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, shoot. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of I, talent I know, in that family. I totally. I know Kevin and his brother would do their band, but yeah, that that, that is neat because that's so hard to do to just, you know, get out of the nepotism thing and then actually stroll on in and uh, decide what exact career path you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, and and honestly, you know, that that all comes from Kira and Kevin. I mean, right? The two of them are 100% tried and true artists uh, right at the core of, you know, their personalities and who they are. Um, I interviewed Sosi uh, this past year for Smile, for her new horror film, Smile, that came out last year. Uh, nice. And she is, you know, she's darling and she is uh about as witty as you would expect and and she definitely i think she is somebody who's a little bit um timid in her process of acting but i think she definitely is you know the type of person that wants to prove herself and and sort of you know a lot of people hear about nepotism and nepo babies and i think she is sort of in the camp of somebody who wants to prove that she is the real thing. And I actually think with Smile, she really did that. I think that's kind of a movie that is a heavy role to play. And um, you just, yeah, again, you just see the talent uh, showing up on the screen. And I think Kevin and Kira have a lot to do with that. Thousand percent. Uh, so, you know, she, it's what's wild is she kind of started becoming better known like late 90s early 2000s but before that you know like she was constantly working but you know most of it is just kind of just a lot of just obscure tv movies pbs type material and it's so interesting seeing how actors have been working for a while but it takes getting to the third or even sixth stage of their career to finally you know everybody knows me now <laughs> yeah yeah totally i mean well and it's interesting with you know sort of, uh, you know, when you sort of asked me to come on your your podcast, I basically was like, this is a very interesting topic, you know, like, it was uh, quite an honor for me to be able to interview Kira. Uh, the reason why I interviewed her was because her new film, she directed a new film called Space Oddity. Um, yeah, and, uh, can't wait to see it. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's a really, like, honestly... It is a very much a uh, a throwback, you know, to romantic comedies, but romantic films and films about family. I, I'm one of the few critics that I think was a bigger fan of it, uh, where it felt like it worked, and she has Kevin in it. Um, but I do think it's interesting. I I don't think she should give up the acting side. I still think she's really great at that, and I think there's. Um, there's a lot of movies that we'll get to and talk about where she has proved time and again that she is legit, but I do think she has, uh, you know, a lot of talent behind the camera too. I think there's, there's sort of a nice throwback style of romantic films, romantic comedies. Space Oddity kind of reminded me of, of like the times of Steel Magnolias or Terms of Endearment, James L. Brooks movies where family is at the center, but um, there might be a little quirk about it to sort of 
uh, keep the plot going along or make make the audience laugh. So she she is incredibly talented. And, um, you know, as I look through her filmography, there's so many things that make me say, why hasn't she even been given more opportunities to lead films? Uh, and I, I don't know if that's because she's comfortable in the, the lane that she's often been put in or if because, um, you know, Hollywood tends to not give women enough opportunities and enough roles. Yeah, I, I really don't know. I, I, I know she just seems to, uh, despite making so many beautiful people lists and directing plenty of other uh, TV movies that have been surprisingly effective, I, I just... I don't know. I just feel like a lot of these theater people who become film and TV stars just kind of, they have a certain process and if what they're given is just too generic or there's no truthfulness, I, I can see them being picky about scripts. Right. But you never know, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and like her early career, you know, like the early part of her career, she met Kevin on a film called Lemon Sky, which I haven't seen. And, you know, got her. yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, totally. Well, it's like, again, doing this podcast is an exciting thing because it sort of puts you down a path to watch more of her movies. Um, but the like I talked with her in my interview with her, the first time I had ever seen her in a movie, noticed her in a movie, was born on the 4th of July, Oliver Stone. You're right. <laughs> Oliver Stone's film. And, you know, that movie's coming up on almost... I mean, it, it it came out in 1989, so it's like such yeah. a long, long time since it came out, uh, and she, she is a major part of that movie, and I think that she has kind of found a way to be that type of actor in really every movie that she's in, where whether the movie is good or not is not exactly her problem, right? She always seems to shine in whether she has five minutes of the movie or if she's on screen for you know all 96 minutes yeah totally a very careful actor is all about hey if my brand isn't working then i'm not gonna uh go that far but uh uh yeah she's been very meticulous and careful and uh i have yet to see a role where i was like oh they barely used her <laughs> right. i even put her uh and uh yeah she you know outside of playing uh deputy chief johnson on closer i think i just she uh fourth of july was a big one but then yeah hearts and souls which was a big all-star cast including alfred woodard robert downey it was one of my sister's favorites and that came on tv quite a lot it was like one of the few movies with mature subject matter that you could still watch as a family you know where they're just dead spirits overseeing uh, another troubled man it was a good very feel good frank capra-esque fantasy and she's done a lot of that where she's pretty much kind of like her husband uh, just always part of an ensemble and just tries to find a way to not steal the thunder of the other performers while also contribute or, you know when it's time for cameras on her right right yeah and it's and it's interesting um so the three movies that i checked out after you invited me so graciously to be on your show um, <laughs> was um, a movie that, like, as you said, some like she would be on some TV movies uh, was a movie called Losing Chase that mm -hmm. uh, that Kevin Bacon directed himself. Uh, and then the second movie that I watched um, was a film directed by Barry Levinson with Al Pacino called The Humbling. And oh yeah, That's yeah, that. yeah. She's she's got and, and again she has a very brief role in this movie. And then the movie that I watched after that was a film from 2015 that she did with um, Bella Thorne called Big Sky. And of the three, yeah. Big Sky is the least. That is the worst of the three. Um, I concur. I was like so let down by that one. I was like, she's barely in it. She's giving it her all. Uh, even Frank Grillo from Captain America and Purges in this as one of the kidnappers. Yeah. Both. I 
I've heard bad things about Bellator behind the scene, but that's a story for another day. But <laughs> right, it right. just seems it just seems like, uh, but that's just it. Like they were giving it their all, but seems so far like that movie has been rightfully forgotten. And I'm just like, well, hey, well, they didn't lose any sleep over it. Right, right, one hundred percent. I mean, and, and, and honestly, her performance in Big Sky is her to a T, where all her character gets shot in the gut pretty early on. Uh, and she's asked to basically act her heart out while sitting in a front seat of a car with a bleeding gunshot wound. And she, again, her performance is, is fine. It's more than fine. It's, it's quite good, but everything else around her feels like a half-baked screenplay and feels like a, you know, a movie that really needed somebody to take second third and fourth looks at to make sure that it actually had more to it it just didn't really have enough drama to it honestly i concur i was very <laughs> let down it was just like like you say i can see what the appeal might have been I'm, i have no doubt it probably started much like losing chase kind of you know losing chase kind of works it was like a showtime original movie we'll return after these messages Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous. I don't even know where to Anyways, uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as... Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S., we are in the U.K., we are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan, we're in Australia, y'all. BlindKnowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Okay. And just showed up troubled, you know, love triangle, and she's, work, you know, playing alongside Bo Bridges and Helen Mirren, and, and but, yeah, when, when Big Sky comes along, it just feels like, Okay, maybe it was kind of a stage play equivalent, but investors and everything wanted to focus more on cheap frills and the other stars. And <laughs> it's just like right. not, not the best method. Uh, she's done some other movies and TV. I saw that she had been on like a canceled news radio sitcom. She had a brief recurring role in Queen Supreme, which I had seen parts of. And I recall that being very funny. It had Christian Johnson from Third Rock from the Sun and Oliver Platt. It's basically just showing all these different judges and Scott West Wing kind of humor, but oh, awesome! Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, she she's been in so many other movies that people forget she's in. Like she was in something the Lord made with uh, uh, Omar Epps and Alan Rickman, Phenomenon with John Travolta, Man on a Ledge. 
was kind yeah. of one of her first movies once the closer ended <laughs> right right yeah and and i talked to her too about like sort of the collection of directors in my interview uh which viewers can see on a movieguy.com it's also on um uh a movieguy.com's youtube page um but i talked to her, I, I talked to her about um a lot of those directors she's worked with and one of them was sydney lamette she was in sydney lamette's critical care which that's right yeah it doesn't have it doesn't have bad reviews really and um you know that that's she has sort of grown along with old hollywood she's almost a bridge between old hollywood current like her time of hollywood and hollywood today because she's i mean god she does have this like really long arching career uh i talked to her about working with paul newman and Joanne Woodward in Mr. and Mrs. Bridges. I talked to her about working with Oliver Stone and working with Sidney Lumet. And, and, you know, and then she sort of makes a transition and, and hits her sort of peak with the closer, right? I mean, everybody would probably say that that's what she is known the most for. It's what she won an Emmy for. But on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she basically parodies that okay that's what i was gonna say because so she's been on like brooklyn 99 and she was in the edge of 17 and these are like really current and great sort of uh outlets that highlight her again right i mean she is yeah she she at this point she's just showing that like she could she's timeless at this point thousand percent um and i'm sure she's probably worked with her husband even more times now that you know he's done some directing and she's doing some tv direct also um her episode of ray donovan that she helmed actually was probably the most visual of that particular season but yeah i, I was trying to do some homework on how she got that gig and i was like okay well i saw that she worked with some of the other cast and crew on other obscure obscurities and short films so i'm sure they eventually rang her phone number and said hey we want our friend to direct this episode <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, she does have some really cool uh, collection of t television that she has done. Grace and Frankie, which is like a huge hit. Uh, Ray Donovan, as you said, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I mean, that that is sort of, again, television is not my bread and butter. Where I typically live is uh, I'm, I'm watching movies all the time. Um, so I sort of find myself not having time for television. Um, but you know, I have friends who swear by Ray Donovan. I have friends who swear by Brooklyn nine, nine and say, that's one of the funniest TV shows to come around in a while. So she is yeah, not the typical uh, actor turned TV director either. Cause like, I'll see plenty of other people like Jonathan Franks or Peter Weller, or even Lou Diamond Phillips, they'll direct a show, but it's often because you know, they're doing two to four episodes because they're already in a recurring role. It's just easier to help out. Or they were hired as director and then they were getting along so well that everyone was like, hey, we need an extra lawyer or uh, dad. So <laughs> you got the part also. <laughs> so, right. It's so wild how people right. can interject. And I think she's just said, you know, hey, if it's a effective TNT or uh nbc show i'm, I'm gonna help people out with it um but yeah no uh on the movies um uh, uh she worked also with husband kevin on murder in the first as well as uh the woodsman and right. both completely unrecognizable you know anyone else would have probably freaked out or been like how do i play that and she's pretty much like many of these actors she just wants you to make sure you understand the character better instead right. of dividing the audience or getting into politics um her her latest shows kind of bummed me out because like she was on a laugh track sitcom called call your mother and then she was on a thriller called 10 days in the valley okay and unfortunately neither really took off and they both got canceled and i was just kind of like hmm i see why she was interested i wondered what happened in the editing room on either of those but uh to, to your point uh She's got plenty of other recent stuff to dissect. Uh, Just a Kiss was this other romantic comedy that I often would find playing on HBO. And Villains is a very amusing uh, dark comedy she did with Jeffrey Donovan from Burn Notice and Sicario. 
Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I actually interviewed the directors of that film as well. And and I that is, you know, I wrote a little bit of a list of just like her notable great movies. And I actually included villains in it because that movie has, you know, that, <laughs> that, that's kind of one of those under underappreciated indie horror films that that will get missed by a lot of people but yet it has this like if you read the cast to anybody today you'd be like oh that movie sounds awesome because it has bill skarsgård who is i mean he is just sort of a yeah. sought out actor he you know he played pennywise everybody loves him from yeah. that uh micah monroe is an actress that i've also interviewed who I think like really doesn't miss a lot and as you said Jeffrey Donovan another actor who who he's the type of guy I don't know how he hasn't and maybe I I haven't checked um his full resume I don't know if he's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but I don't know if Jeffrey Donovan I don't know how he hasn't been in a Quentin Tarantino movie yet seems like he's like a shoe-in for a Quentin I don't know either yeah um, uh, yeah. But yeah. So, so she has these, uh, you know, really her performance in villains is excellent. It's like sort of outside the box. It's something that she hasn't done in quite a while. Uh, and yeah, that that's a movie that, you know, for your listeners, I highly recommend. Uh, and kudos to her for even just how she approached it. Cause like anyone else would have probably been hammy or been a little bland. And she just decided, I'm just going to act like a, annoyed mama bear like hey i'm only hostage when are we gonna kill you i want you out of here <laughs> right right i remember that yeah yeah i mean it's uh you know she's an actress that finds ways to sort of change herself uh the mo- the other movie that i mentioned uh which was sorry i'm blanking again right now um which was losing chase what as we said it was kind of it was very much a tv movie uh, but that's kind of one of those movies where the cast, the trio cast is like excellent, right? Bo Bridges and Helen Mirren. You would have thought like, I, when I first saw it available and I was like skimming through, I was skimming through a bunch of movies that, you know, to either rent or watch before I came on the show and losing chase just kind of stuck out to me because I was like, this cast has Helen Mirren. Like this movie is about a, woman who kind of like loses her mind has a bit of a like a nervous breakdown and when Kira Cedric's character is brought into this home to help take care of the kids while the mother recovers the two of them start to almost like have a romantic interest with each other and in 1996 you know this a movie like this isn't getting that type of attention I think if this movie was made today, they certainly would have changed a lot of things. There's certainly a lot of parts to this that don't hold up as well. Um, But, but honestly, Cedric is just like giving it her all. And she has this like breakdown moment in the rain yelling at Helen Mirren, which is so TV movie setting Um, that, you know, you're like, this you know, she's just a really great actress and Helen Mirren great actress and Bo Bridges doing a great job so it's like it's kind of one of those movies that your mom or you know somebody would watch on a on a lazy Sunday morning because it's just on <laughs> yeah uh, the the themes are interesting but like you say some of the transitions are a little rough or dated yeah. um and it's even wilder though because like she uh, a lot of critics, when they reacted to the closer, and despite being a popular show, it never won anything. The most it would get was accolades for acting. Um, but yeah. as she, when coincidentally, she was often noted as, "Wow, you're kind of an American version of Prime Suspect," which was Helen Mirren's hit show oh, that often aired on BBC and yeah. PBS. And instead of doing what most stars do, where they're like, "No, no, it's nothing to do with that," you know, it's pride and joy. And she actually was like she actually jokingly almost kind of sounded like her actual character johnson she's like thank you and she's like yes i absolutely was influenced by that a bit (laughs) right the the person who just you know locks eyes with you and realizes you're lying but i'm gonna wait you out (laughs) yeah 
the, you have to sort of fill me in a lot on the closer. I, I've maybe seen like bits and pieces of episodes because maybe I was like watching one episode of Law and Order before it came on, before the closer came on after it. And um, did she, like her character was obviously the like hard-nosed uh, detective, right? Totally. She was like, I'm going to be brutal, but I'm not going to be a bitch. And she was very good at just being very likable. She did her best to re recreate a Georgian accent. Uh, if you like something like The Shield or Bosch, it'll definitely be intriguing to you. Uh, the crimes were well thought out, but often you can spot who the villain is, it, but they still would keep you in suspense. Like those last 20 to 40 minutes, like we know you did something wrong, but why did you do it? And <laughs> right. And she was really good at just, you know, being the CIA trained uh, top of her class detective who, you know, is she's pretty much all about just being a breather. Like she wants to get along with everybody. Half the time they'll even joke up how it's almost kind of like homicide in some of those other shows where it's like, yeah, we don't really have much of a life. So I'm going to bring a turkey to work tonight so we can at least have some kind of Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah, and I, I, I significantly remember she had like a real Southern twang accent. That was kind of her like calling card, right? Yeah, the trailers were pretty cliche, but uh, <laughs> well, when it went into reruns, like it was on every other like My 27 or uh, uh, some of those other in-between stations where they would show right. reruns or something like that or Crossing Jordan. And I was like, see, this is interesting because uh, it can apply, you know, it's going to appeal to some CSI and Law and Order guys, but then it's also going to appeal to those who want a little comedy and with some action and mystery. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm down with it and have it. You got freaking Raymond Cruz, you know, years before he was Tuco on Breaking Bad. And right. Then, uh, Tony Dennison had a funny story on one podcast he did where he was like, yeah, we, we all went there that first year when it won, uh, got nominated for, you know, best lead actress. And uh, we weren't, we're still kind of unknowns, but everyone at all the other tables, even the West Wing and Sopranos tables acknowledged us and said, you do, you guys, you're from Police Cab, you're from Crime Story, you're from, <laughs> they, right. they were all recognized enough for stuff they did two decades ago that they still had some fanfare. And I think that's why that was such a healthy onset relationship everyone had. It was never, let's be bigger than any of them. And to even walk away from that show after seven years, that that was something. Because the show continued for six more years with a as major crimes. But uh, I was cool with it because, you know, it was... You know, so many actors will just kind of be on a show until they just no longer care. And I think she knew when to press the eject button. And yes, which again, uh, we talked about it, how I'm not much of a television watcher. And I watched Game of Thrones. I watched Breaking Bad. I watched The Walking Dead. And like shows like shows like Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead have burned me incredibly like <laughs> yes and and a lot of those times when a television show does that it really it really would sort of you know get me to be scared to jump into another television show and I and I and I watched The Last of Us and I know like we're de dealing with a writer's strike so it's like there's things and I and I watch Stranger Things as well but there's nice. But there, you know, there's a lot of um, TV that I do watch that I can tend to be a little bit tentative uh, going into it because I know that there might be a chance where people aren't getting out when they should have, the show's not ending and, and putting a nice cap on it all. Um, yeah, or they're not ever going to wrap it up and it's going to become a pretentious soap opera and it's like okay well it started out great but that was a huge waste of acting and even explosions if you're gonna just go down this rabbit hole of bad plotting you know, right right happened. yeah 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 well it's interesting to take a look you talked about like some of the co-stars that she's worked with on that show it's like it is a lot of its standard like television actors actors who know how to come in and just nail it but also actors who have been in 
amazing movies or amazing television. You got Stephen Tobolowski was in an episode, Veronica Cartwright in an episode. Oh, those were hysterical. But yeah, you got uh, J- James Avery and, uh, you know, uh, even even J.K. Simmons was in a couple episodes, it looks like. I mean, that's... Oh, he was in most of the run, but yeah. He, yeah. He was like a guest star at first, and then they said, join the cast. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, that, you know, that, that shows that it's kind of like one of those television shows that wanted to always stay on its same plane and work with reliable actors. And she's kind of critic proof. Like she's done so many projects that are just like, hey, if it doesn't turn out well, you can at least understand why I chose to do that. And there's nothing more frustrating when you see a great actor, but you keep getting just confused by their roles that they pick. Or their you, movie. This, this is, you know, this is uh, a good topic to even bring up because uh, my re- main review this week was Fast X. Uh, and. <laughs> And I'm one of the few critics, not one of the few critics, I think I think it is uh, rotten right now on Rotten Tomatoes, but I am one of the critics that gave it a rotten score. And uh, I think Brie Larson is an actress that I think has, you know, amazing potential. She's won an Oscar already. She's she's proven she can be a really good actor in, in dramas. And she has a role in this that I just was like embarrassed by. Like it was one of those performances and parts where I'm just like I like why are you even taking this at all like and I don't I, think they ever read the script the same thing with Jason Momoa right. he work half and half on his movie roles he seems like a reliable henchman or badass if you give him a better script and then it's like okay yeah but here there's really nothing to this villain just watching it he's just gonna play to the camera and Vin Diesel's gonna take out the trash so what's the point right yeah so so it's like so when I see that and obviously we know the reason why they take it right like they obviously get big paydays for being in big blockbusters of this nature but uh, yeah yeah exactly like and, and honestly I don't fault people in that regard obviously but um you know I think that I think it's important to like like you said become critic proof to become an actor who it's like you can always take a role and have, feel like a little bit of respect and a little bit of like pride in what you gave whether the movie turns out or the television show turns out good or not exactly exactly if you can be bigger than the movie there will always be forgiveness for you if you're just looking disinterested or you have a bad work report behind the scene and you know, don't get me wrong, tabloids are different now. They'll always be awful in the UK, but the US, at least now, we can often just figure out, okay, People Magazine, US Weekly, that's bullshit. Um, this is a clickbait site. This site generally is good, but it has a few other just full of themselves critics in this sector. You know, it's we're having to do a checklist of dissection, so to speak, do our own homework. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I know, like, honestly, the critic sphere is, you know, flooded, and there's a lot of us and, and it's always sort of chaotic. And, and honestly, for me, writing for a movieguy.com, I mean, my hope is always just that my infectious love of cinema, my infectious love of movies, or, you know, uh, the things, the type of genres that I love, uh, will you know rub off on on the people who are reading my reviews, and that's that's really all that matters to me. You know, it's not it's it's about sort of just being honest and uh, you know telling the audiences you know when a movie's good or not. Thousand percent. Yeah. Uh, I think she's also just a natural kind of badass, just someone who's just very stern but knows how to show affection without being weepy or over the top or melodramatic she's clearly lived and breathed lots of emotion knowing how to compound it together to where it's just so theatrical yeah well when she talked about it in my interview with her that she's like very much a new york you know person she's she's (laughs) she's got that she's got that calloused tough sort of skin uh that allows her to to do that and and it's interesting because like some of her directing choices too we talked about the television stuff you know she did a tv movie called story of a girl and she did uh um, yeah directing her daughter and okay just is it have you seen that 
it was so good. It, she basically got her on-screen husband John Tenney to pay a, uh, uh, play the dad of uh, her on-screen daughter, and she was just directing. Kevin Bacon also played in it, and he was basically a restaurant guy who's looking out for her. He's her employer, uh, but uh, you basically felt like that was kind of what made her take off and pursue more directing because basically she was just like, who am I comfortable around? Okay, I'm going to have my husband, going to have my daughter. I need to give her more work. Yeah. Um, my sister, when Smile became so big, she went and rewatched the episodes that Susie Bacon was in. Okay. And that was interesting because she played her on-screen niece <laughs> instead yeah. of on-screen daughter in that. But okay. I, I think she definitely, that was the blueprint where she's like, okay, my daughter's comfortable acting. I'm comfortable acting with her. Uh, right. Let's give her an awesome lead role. And Lifetime's getting better at actually having some actual dramatic pieces instead of, you know, who's the psycho boyfriend next door. So let's put it on there. And it was just a very straightforward, dramatic play, basically. Um, she does some better ones. Like she was in Tai Pan in a brief role. She was in Miss Rose White which I think was a Hallmark movie, but despite being Hallmark is actually an interesting historical piece. Uh, right. And she returned to Showtime later in the 2000s with this one movie called Behind the Red Door, which was basically, once again, she just picks something that would be just as good if it were a stage play. It makes it very somewhat theatrical. Uh, this was way more theatrical than Losing Chase. Like it has her as a accepting uh, sister who's concerned about her gay brother, who's played by Kiefer Sutherland. This was when he had just made a comeback with 24. Yeah. Um, both she and her next door neighbor, Stalker Channing, are just basically just concerned. You're like, hey, he's, he's succumbing to his disease with AIDS pretty soon. He's very hard to understand. And uh, I actually, this was like the first role where I actually like pay, first paid attention to her as an actress. I was just like, this is an uncanny TV movie. And then she's, you know, not just everyone could play this. You know, if it was anyone else, like, I don't know, a Julia Roberts type, they would want the movie to be just as much about them as it is about the other person. Instead, yes. again, she's a helper. She's an ensemble person. So right. uh, she, you, you, you totally believed, hey, you know, if I had a stuck-up brother who was dying slowly and difficult to talk to, you know, she she just had the right amount of determination and frustration. He's like, I want to help you, but you're not helping me help you. you right, know? right. <laughs> what can I do to make your passage into heaven bearable, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, man, Cam, you're putting all these movies on my radar now, and it's like it's going <laughs> to keep going on this Kira Sedgwick journey. Um, what I wanted to say too, though, uh, it's interesting what, that you brought up the episodes and things that she's directed for television, because some of that stuff, you know, you talked about how she creates sort of a community on set and she likes to work with her family because like she makes it comfortable and wants it to be comfortable when she does it. Um, the, the, that's kind of what she talked about in my interview, but she, but it's also interesting, like when she directs a show like Ray Donovan, that gives me hope because Space Oddity, it's more of a romance. It's more about family coming together. It's like, I, I want her to now like venture off into different genres. I want her to do, you know, action. I want her to do uh, horror movies. And I think like she's, right? she's acted in them before. I, I don't see why she couldn't get the job done. It'd be a cool scream queen or, you know, a uh, villain even. Um yeah. Uh, there's a few other nominations I'll throw out there. Um, she is also in this other uh, obscure TV drama, Cave Dweller, uh, as well as uh, she's with Stallone, Thomas Jane, Danny Trejo, and this other, this is as close as she got to Tarantino, other than villains. It's called Reach Me. Okay. She played a, and basically, a lot well, of critics hated this. I saw it. I saw, I saw it available on Prime. I didn't see the movie, but I saw that it was available on Amazon. <laughs> It's a like it or hate it, but I remember when I saw it, I was like, hey, regardless of what I think of this, this is not a 20 out of 100, you know, like, right. compared to other movies, which have, you know, annoying, you know, sound and video problems and just become confusing. So it was cool to see that 
hey, you know, she's playing an ex-con. All these other people are playing people trying to look for something inspiring in their lives now that they're, you know, out of work, having trouble. Yeah. Uh, and all together, uh, just very intriguing. And yeah. uh, the cast list is like a mile long, too. Yeah. Uh, like ginormous. Uh, she also did uh, this movie where she played a hit woman called Montana. And I take it back. That was definitely Tarantino inspired. Like yeah. Robbie Coltrane, John Ritter of all people. It was surprisingly very action packed and very witty. Um, yeah. She she's done some other dramas like The Low Life and uh, I can't speak today, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's just. Like you say, oh, what's cooking? Yes, that, now that is definitely essential. Like to play offside, Mercedes Rawl and Alfred Woodard, and just again be dynamic best friends and yeah. just play around with the wordplay. I, I think that's just it too. I think that that is her main draw. She doesn't overthink this whole process because you hear so many other people who you either love or hate right. who have a bad record of just constantly arguing with the director or trying to talk smack to the producer say you're the money man i'm in charge of this yeah and i and think I, she's all about what can i, I do i believe the industry back. people i believe the industry people call that being difficult yes <laughs> I'm, I'm sugarcoating it but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and yeah. I, she just comes off as the type she wants to make this explode off the page yeah and and just be dynamic, not be even cliche. Uh, kind of find a way to make it be uncanny, like because you'll see so many other people who you'll be like, I love them, but you know, once Blockbuster exploded and started even premiering certain movies, like I would watch some of those, and it would be the same process every time. Where I'd see it, I'd be kind of disappointed. I'd be like, that's very dramatic. I'm not still unsure why this particular actor, you know. And then you would see the special feature after the fag to be like okay now i understand better like why john cusack or forrest whitaker took this but right. i can't say i can recommend the movie it was confusing but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well intended so yeah uh, kudos to her for just picking like to say mostly just solid relevant blockbusters and indie fair and uh I, i'm looking forward to watching space Oddity. i can't wait to see this now that you piped it up for me yeah, yeah, and and I hope I don't hype it up too much, but it but it is really this gentle movie, it, it, you know, about <laughs> yeah, you you know what I mean? It's about this brother who about the the son of the family who he basically has his sights set on going to Mars, and he tells <laughs> yeah. everyone to do that growing yeah. up, <laughs> and he tells everybody in his family that he's going to Mars and that he's been accepted to this program with a person he's been talking to online about going being the first person to go to mars and right in in this process he becomes sort of a celebrity of the town the town starts doing a news report on him going to mars <laughs> and all of these things and his family is like saying to him like you're not really going to mars that's not possible and there's a a woman who he becomes involved with who he basically talks to about life insurance because he's going to Mars and <laughs> they become sort of romantically involved. And in this process, it becomes opened up to us. Like we know from the get-go that there's something that happened in this family dynamic. There's something that fractured his connection with his dad and fractured his sort of relationship with his sister in the movie and his dad is played by Kevin Bacon. Um, right. And um, uh, and we eventually find out, I don't think it's not a spoiler, but we eventually find out that his twin brother had died in like a car accident. And so when we find that out, all of these things start to come into, you know, understanding of why he wants to get away, why he's willing to sort of push his emotions to the back and not handle that struggle with that loss and you know it has a really beautiful arc of him connecting with this woman played by Alexandra Ship, and uh, the lead actor is Kyle Allen he's really uh you know good looking dude he's really cool and I, I his performance is good and 
yeah she she directs the hell out of it it's a throw like i said it's a throwback but it's a it's a really nice movie and uh you could do a lot worse i guess maybe that's not a glowing review but it's like it's the type of movie that i easily recommend and i honestly don't think we get enough of it's just it's just all and i it, the right kind of how to play it safe while also taking a partial risk that that's cool and yeah uh, i i think you just found out the key word she's all about understanding <laughs> right because there's so many other actors who they'll explain the role and you'll be like i didn't get that at all yeah. I'm a dense guy i've read shakespeare i've seen live <laughs> live stand-up i've seen all kinds of movies so yeah it, when someone actually just ignites like you say like uh, and i'm all for it even if the movie's meh you know i know it's more powerful than i'm giving it credit for if i'm still thinking about it and it's not oh what would i have changed or done to make it better you know if it's Right. This happened and that happened and man, I gotta see this again. <laughs> right. That's, that's cool. But like you say, is like that. That's cool to, because not every indie film can be more than just an ego-headed piece. So that's cool that it, uh, just blended together and it didn't feel like just garbage. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think like uh, you know, my mom always you know when I talk to my mom on the phone, she's always asking me what movies can you recommend to my uncle or what movies can I recommend to her and and most of the time I find myself saying hmm like (laughs) I'm not gonna recommend Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness or I'm not gonna recommend Fast X to my uncle he doesn't want to see that so it's like when we get a movie like Space Oddity I think that that's important I think like those movies belong to be in the theater which i think this one you know space oddity only had a very brief run i don't think it had a very successful run by any stretch of the way but like those are the kind of movies that we need our the older audiences to get out and see but we also need to tell our audiences about them because we need to get the word out and these movies deserve attention that way and um you know the unfortunately a lot of times today what's offered to us at the movie theater is not as easily accessible right for people who are in their 50s and and up uh (laughs) you unfortunately have like we talked about it with streaming you unfortunately have to do a lot of searching or as we do as film critics we keep our ears to the ground of what movies are coming up and what's you know what's coming down the pipeline of the year and right. <laughs> you know you know what i mean and and like the common moviegoer and a a person who is more of a, in for more adult movies or movies that don't involve comic books or spandex um i think movies like space Oddity are important you know we, we got to tell people about them and uh this is definitely one that i hope more people will seek out looking forward to the uh, after you naturally hyped it up and I think that's just it too. We need natural hype as opposed to so hyped up to where I've given the whole thing away for you. It has zero impact now that you've seen it. Right. To analyze it. Um, so this has been a delight. This hour has flown like no tomorrow. Yeah. It's been um, great. Anytime. Uh, what can we look forward from you, especially with those heist movies? There's always some gem that just comes out of no stage right and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our next, well, our episode for nine Queens comes out tomorrow and then, and then on a movieguy.com, I've got reviews for fast X and I've got reviews for, um, AV Rockwell's film, a thousand and one, which was a big winner at the Sundance film festival and is available on Peacock this weekend. Um, yeah. And and I also, I I do want to hype it up. I, I interviewed, uh, Rick Roman Wah, whose new film Can't yes. is coming out next week, and uh, that that interview uh, I feel like was really good and went really well. And he is uh, a fascinating guy. He was a former stuntman turned director, mm-hmm. and uh, he, I think I think audiences are going to be surprised by Kandahar, but I also think. Uh, I want, you know, to let people know that he talks a little bit about the cliffhanger movie that he's been attached to with Sylvester Stallone. So I think uh-huh. 
he's got a lot of he's got a lot of cool things coming up and um you can get that always on a movieguy.com sweet 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 yep okay well i will check out that interview and i can't wait to see kandan nar i need a good political action filler <laughs> yes yes very an excuse to talk about harsh truths in third world countries while also giving an excuse for gerard butler to kick some ass so, yeah. <laughs> that you have hit the nail on the head without even seeing the movie so <laughs> if that's what you're wanting that's that's typically what you're going to be getting out of this something like homeland or the kingdom i'm, I'm there <laughs> there you go awesome all right well godspeed to you my dude and let's let's stay in touch <laughs> yeah thanks cam i really appreciate it thanks for having me on your show and uh look forward uh, to doing it again next time anytime all right well, all right buddy godspeed yep take care oh cam I, yes can uh before we go can i plug my um please you can edit this uh i definitely yeah. want to plug my twitter which is at leo's a movie guy and then my uh instagram is just at a movie guy and then you can find me on facebook uh and letterboxed as well i'm, I'm on there Leo. Right. <laughs> and um so yeah so uh, you know for give them a suggestion guys give them an obscure ice movie like the money movers or something <laughs> there you go yeah yeah and and yeah so you know like and subscribe obviously to my youtube page and, and follow me on twitter follow I'll me on patreon when the time comes guys <laughs> yeah maybe someday you know we've talked about it that we've Get talked some money about in his pocket <laughs> exactly exactly but 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 again thank thank you cam for letting me be on the show thousand percent dude this was so great <laughs> all right you have a good one i tried <laughs> Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.